Good morning. Thank you, gentlemen. Appreciate uh, those songs. Um, we found a pair of keys. Well, it's one set of key. It's not a pair, but it's one key for a Honda. So if this is your key, you won't get far. Uh, so double check your, um, uh, you know, you, you got here. Going home is probably more important. And so uh, check. And if it's someone in this fellowship, great. If not, we will carry it over to the other and um, and see if it belongs to someone uh, in the Spanish-speaking uh, congregation. Uh, we have a couple different prayer requests we want to keep in, in, in your minds. Um, uh, the, the youth group, a uh, number of them are up in um, Central Florida Bible Camp this weekend for, for the winter camp. We want to pray for them. Also for our college and young professional group, they are in the, um, uh, the St. Pete area with their uh, winter retreat. Uh, <coughs> you might have seen on the news that a tornado hit Wetumpka, Alabama. That's just north of Montgomery. And we have a number of friends who live there, some 250-plus buildings were, were affected. A beautiful 160-year-old uh, 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 church was destroyed, a building. And um, and so up to this point, as far as I understand, there's been no loss of life, for which we're grateful. But they'll be digging out from that for quite some time, so we want to remember them. So you see on the screen this Saturday, as uh, Randy mentioned, is the chili cook-off. So please be... <coughs> um, uh, preparing for that with your best recipes, and as the bulletin will point out, if you don't feel like bringing a pot of chili, uh, there are a number of other things that you can bring to accompany our meal. Uh, uh, it'll be a much better meal if we all bring something to share. And then uh, in two weeks, we're going to have our uh, ministries fair, which will be held in this particular space. Uh, we'll have a bilingual service followed by the ministry fair, and uh, we're looking forward to, to that day as to share um, uh, the, the various ministries that God is doing in and through us here at, at the Sunset Church. Uh, tomorrow is set aside as the day to remember the legacy of Martin Luther King Jr. Uh, in many ways, he followed in Jesus' footsteps. He was a preacher. He chose nonviolence as his lifestyle, and he was killed uh, before his time. And also like Jesus, much of the conflict surrounding Martin Luther King's life and ministry was not because he tried to invent some new doctrine or teaching or law. Uh, he was simply trying to uphold and bring people back to what the documents already said. The Constitution for many, many years prior to Martin Luther King's birth said all men are created equal. But the definitions in the interpretation suggested that African-American men were not fully men. And so when the sanitation workers were on strike in Memphis, Tennessee, the signs that they held up were, I am a man. I am not half a man or three quarters of a man. I am a man. And when the 13th Amendment was passed, uh, uh, abolishing slavery, even though the law said it, that still didn't practice in people's lives in the same way. And that's much of what we're going to see in today's text. Jesus uh, as we follow him through the Gospel of Mark, we're trying to learn from him what's important to him and what should we be uh, concerned about. Uh, last week, Jesus was this miracle worker that gathered this massive uh, following uh, through the various <coughs> miracles that he was uh, um, uh, doing and the ways that he was interacting with people. Well, well today, uh, his opposition is going to rise almost as rapidly from the Jewish leaders 
Um, and Jesus is going to push the envelope of what is acceptable, of what traditionally, socially, religiously was the way to act as a, a Jewish man or as a, a rabbi. Uh, he's not going to change the law of Moses, but he's actually going to bring people back to the law of Moses. But in the end, at the end of our text today, the the steps will begin <coughs> that will lead to, to his death. There, there's three areas of conflict that we're going to see in this particular text, uh, beginning in, in Mark chapter 2, verse 13 and following. Uh, there's the call of Levi or Matthew, and then the subsequent relationship with sinners. There's the question of fasting, and then there's the question of what is allowable and permissible on the day of Sabbath. In each of these, Jesus is interpreting the law the way God intended it for us to understand it, not the way that the Jewish leaders had interpreted it over this period of years. So let's read the first section, uh, Mark chapter 2, verses 13 through 17. You can find it on your phone. You can follow along on the screen, pull out your Bible. Uh, this is from the New Living Translation. Then, after the healing miracles were completed, after Jesus had healed the man that they lowered through the roof, then Jesus went out to the lake shore again and taught the crowds that were coming to him. As he walked along, he saw Levi, son of Alphaeus, he's also known as Matthew, uh, sitting at his tax collector's booth. Follow me and be my disciple, Jesus said to him. So Matthew got up and followed him. Later, Levi, or Matthew, if it's easier to, to make sure we know who we're talking about, Matthew invited Jesus to and his disciples to his home as dinner guests, along with many tax collectors and other disreputable sinners. There were many people of this kind that were following Jesus. But when the teachers of religious law, who were Pharisees, saw him eating with tax collectors and other sinners, they asked the disciples, why does he eat with such scum? When Jesus heard this, he told them, healthy people don't need a doctor. Sick people do. I have come to call not those who think they are righteous, but those who know they are sinners. <coughs> this call of Matthew is very similar to the way and the process that Jesus used to call the other disciples, the fishermen. Uh, uh, Jesus walks by, they're at their job, he looks at them, tells them to follow me, and they leave their job, and they leave everything they have, and follow them on the spot. The primary difference in this particular case was the profession. The other four disciples that Jesus called were fishermen, which was a an acceptable kind of a career. Uh, Matthew's chosen profession was a tax collector, and tax collectors, as I'm sure you're familiar uh, were widely despised because they cheated people and then they were in cahoots with Rome. And so nobody really liked uh, tax collectors except fellow tax collectors. Now, now it's interesting that Jesus doesn't defend their actions. When he's accused of spending too much time with them, in close company with them, sharing the table with them, he, he doesn't defend their sinfulness. He doesn't defend their actions. Nor does he imply that the Pharisees are the ones who are really right. All he's trying to do is to make the point that, hey, these people need God. And I have come to help people find God. And if you're in a place in life where you don't need God, then all right, so be it. But that's not who I am, and this is why I have come. 
The next controversy has to deal with fasting. And remember, in the text, this is just one controversy after another. Once when John's disciples are uh, and the Pharisees were eating. or uh, <laughs> Let me back up. OK, uh, um, I'm, I might have to get my eyes fixed. These try. I think I need quad. Do they make four le- quadruple? Uh, I, I don't know. I'm thinking I'm going to have to do that. But uh, once when Jesus. <laughs> I went to see the doctor about my cough this week and he said, OK, uh, Mr. Hallway, you need to avoid two things. One is speaking. And the second is laughing. I said, all right, so the cough's going to be with me for a while (coughs) because I'm not going to give up either one of those two. Um, Once when John's disciples and the Pharisees were fasting, some people came to Jesus and said, why don't your disciples fast like John's disciples and the Pharisees do? Jesus replied, "Do, do wedding guests fast while celebrating with the groom? Of course not. They can't fast while the groom is with them, but someday the groom will be taken away from them and then they will fast. Besides, who would patch an old piece of cloth with new cloth? For the new patch would shrink and rip everything away from the old cloth, leaving an even bigger tear than before. And no one puts new wine into old wineskins, for the wine would burst through the skins and the wine and the skins would both be lost. New wine calls for new skins. So this question of fasting is kind of interesting because in the old days and ancient times, the Jews believe that you should fast on a regular basis twice a week. Uh, Mondays and Thursdays was their chosen days. Now, the law of Moses said that you were supposed to fast, according to the law of Moses, once a year. But they said, well, if once a year is good, maybe then once a month. If once a month is good, then why not once a week? And what's better than once a week than two times a week? And so they had developed this this tradition of fasting. And if you didn't follow their tradition, then you were less than holy. And so Jesus replies to this accusation of, of not fasting and caring for God, because that's what they were basically saying, is you don't really love God like we do. And he says, well, you've got the wedding feast situation. You don't fast when there's a wedding going on, when the groom is with you. And I'm the groom, Jesus says, and I'm with you, so we should be celebrating. Then the second thing is, you don't put a new patch onto an old garment because you'll ruin the old garment. And then you don't put new wine because it's going to ferment and expand. And you don't put new wine in old skins that have already expanded because then they'll break. Now, now what's interesting is we often use this text to say, Jesus is all for new things, out with the old and in with the new. And he does say that a lot. And he does say that about the wine. But when you think about the patch, he's actually talking about preserving the old garment. That's the problem. If you put a new patch on the old garment, you ruin the old garment and we want to protect the old garment. And so Jesus kind of teaches both points. The new is important. But also we want to, in some way, protect and preserve what is old, which makes me feel good now that I'm at this stage in life. The last controversy has to do with the day of Sabbath, the Sabbath day and what you're supposed to do and what you're not supposed to do. One day as Jesus was walking through uh, some grain fields, the disciples began breaking off heads of grain to eat. What they would do is they were walking, they would just snap it and then you would rub it between your hands and all the husk would fall and you would just pick the kernels. But the Pharisees said to Jesus, look, 
Why are they breaking the law by harvesting grain on the Sabbath? Jesus said to them, he answers with a question. Don't you hate it when people do that? Well, Jesus did it a lot, so uh, you, you get used to it, and we'll get used to it as we read through the gospel. Haven't you ever read in the scriptures what David did when he and his companions were hungry? He went into the house of God during the days when Abiathar was a high priest and broke the law, just in between quotation marks, broke the law by eating the sacred loaves of bread that only the priests are allowed to eat. He also gave some to his companions. Then Jesus said to them, the Sabbath was made to meet the needs of people, not people to meet the requirements of the Sabbath. So the son of man is Lord even over the Sabbath. Jesus went into the synagogue. This is Mark chapter three. Jesus went into the synagogue again and noticed a man with a deformed hand. Some versions say withered. Um, not sure what his condition was, but it was deformed. Since it was the Sabbath, Jesus's enemies watched him closely. If he healed the man's hand, they planned to accuse him of working on the Sabbath. Jesus said to the man with the deformed hand, come and stand in front of everyone. Then he turned to his critics and said and asked, does the law permit good deeds to be done on the Sabbath or is it a day for doing evil? Is this the day to save a life or to destroy it? But they wouldn't answer him. He looked around at them angrily and was deeply saddened by their hard hearts, their stubbornness. And he said to the man, hold out your hand. So the man held out his hand. And it was restored. At once, the Pharisees went away and met with the supporters of Herod to plot how to kill Jesus. This controversy of violating the Sabbath and traditional understanding of Sabbath laws is probably the one that's going to follow Jesus the most throughout his his preaching career. Uh, the rabbinic interpretation of the law said that reaping and and threshing or harvesting were two of the 37 uh, or the 39 classes of work that were unlawful. So he begins by simply pointing out that, well, David did it, and you revered David, and I am coming as a member of his tribe, as the son of David. And so he doesn't explain it, but simply says, David did it, and therefore uh, I think I have the right to do that as well. And so there are special circumstances, Jesus would argue, where sometimes you have to break the Sabbath. And other uh, uh, times that this story appears in the other Gospels, it talks about would you save your animal if it was dying or if it was thirsty or if it needed some sort of a care and attention. The, the two other sayings that Jesus brings to light, the Sabbath was made for humankind or man, not man for the Sabbath. Uh, um, Jesus is simply pointing out that these laws, all of the Old Testament law, but in particular the Sabbath law, was for our welfare and for our benefit, not to put a burden on us and make life more complicated. And, and then he just points out the obvious that the Son of Man, Jesus himself, is Lord. And he can interpret and does interpret the law the way that God intended from the very beginning. The, the healing of the, the man with a withered hand is, is interesting. I, I think this is, if not the only, perhaps one of the very, very few times when Jesus heals someone without them asking, ask, asking to be healed. Jesus called this man out. Uh, as we mentioned, we don't know what the condition was. It might have been polio. It might have been some other kind of situation. But his hand was deformed to some extent. And um, 
And, and this wasn't a life-threatening situation, but Jesus chose to make this an issue. And what he does is to ask the question, is it okay to do good on a holy day? Would that be okay? They didn't answer. The obvious answer is yes, it should be okay. But they didn't answer. And so Jesus gets angry. He gets frustrated with them because of their stubbornness and says, okay, I will heal this man. But, but, but he also asks the question, is it okay to save a life or kill it or destroy it on the Sabbath? Now, there, there's no discussion here about this man, uh, about killing him or saving him. And so what it seems is that the first question is, is it okay to do good or should we do evil? That's referring to the man with the hand. Yes, we should do good and we should help people out. And the latter part of that question, should we save a life or should we destroy it or kill it, is actually talking about Jesus himself. Because for all of the protesting that Jesus' opponents made on this particular Sabbath, the text ends saying immediately on the Sabbath day, immediately they go out and they begin to plot how to kill Jesus on the Sabbath day itself. And so they themselves are violating the Old Testament law of planning a murder on the day of Sabbath, which was a holy day set aside for God. And yet they themselves violate that because they're interested in doing away with Jesus. Let me <coughs> make one basic um, uh, point about each of these three different controversies. And, 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 and I don't know, you, you might have thought through these verses at some point. You might have some ideas in your head, and, and, and I'd love to sit and chat with you about them. But uh, uh, I've chosen three specific things that I think would relate to us. Uh, um, when we think about Matthew and the story of Jesus being a friend of sinners, uh, I think in today's world, the issue or the word that comes to my mind is exclusivism. We're better than other people or we're better than you because we're predisposed to think that God likes people that I like and God likes me. So he must like people like me. And, and that gets us into trouble, especially in a diverse context like Sunset or in Miami, where you have native born and you have immigrants, you have English speaking, you have Spanish, you have Republicans and you have Democrats, you have a uh, 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 university of Miami and you have uh, um, that other school. Uh, <laughs> Auburn and Alabama. Yeah, I know. I'm already in trouble. That's OK. Um, all of those different kinds of scenarios. And, and, and what Jesus is saying is that we have to figure out a way to break that barrier down. Uh, a couple of years ago, there was an article in Chicago Tribune about a health club that was a very, very different kind of health club. Now, I don't know if you uh, you belong to a health club or, or, or anything, but uh, um, they, they interviewed a lady named Tara Lawton. She said she stopped going to her regular health club because people were always staring and she just felt guilty. She felt like they were judging her. She was 280 pounds. And so she found this health club called Downsize Fitness. And it's a health club that's designed exclusively for people who want to lose at least 50 pounds. Everyone in there is going to be tipping the scales. Everyone in there is going to be a little over where they want to be. Because I don't go to health clubs, but I park outside of one when I go to the Publix. 
And when I see people through the glass, I see fit people that are in great shape. And, and, and you know, that's the image. Whenever you see images of people at, at health clubs, they're healthy people, really tone, and they look really nice. So this particular health club said that many fitness clubs alienate the people who need it most because they make people feel guilty about being there. And so they welcome extremely unfit people and then walk beside them as they work through a program to get healthy and shed pounds. And as I was thinking about that, I thought, what would that look like at church? Because sometimes we have the idea that in order to become a part of a church, you need to be spiritually fit and toned. You need to be in good shape. And if you're in good shape, you're going to fit in because we're all spiritually fit and toned. Well, <laughs> well, <laughs> do we welcome the spiritually unfit people who might be embarrassed to enter a church because of their background, because of something they did, because of something where they've been? Are we ready to walk beside spiritually unhealthy people as they pursue a path of spiritual growth? Is this a place where the only people that we're really going to embrace are people who are already spiritually strong? Well, I don't think so, but it's an interesting question. The, the second thing about the fasting, part of what Jesus is reacting to is in the first century, people had a lot of really weird ideas of what you could get if you fasted. Some thought that you could ward off demons by fasting. Other used fasting as a way to impress God. Like the longer I go, man, God's going to say, wow. You are amazing. I wish I could be like you. <laughs> some fasted to atone for sins and to avert some calamity from falling on the nation. So Jesus doesn't come right out and discourage or condemn fasting. But what he's trying to do is to say, let's put fasting where it belongs. And remember his teaching in the Sermon on the Mount. When you fast, don't let anybody know because fasting should be an inside thing. I like this quote from uh, Macrina uh, uh, Weirderker, uh, uh, um, a tree full of angels. She says, fasting makes me vulnerable and reminds me of my frailty. It reminds me to remember that if I am not fed, I will die. Standing before God hungry, I suddenly know who I am. I am one who is poor, called to be rich in a way the world does not understand. I am one who is empty, called to be filled with the fullness of God. I am one who is hungry, called to taste the goodness that could be mine in Christ. Fasting can be a wonderful thing if done right. The Jewish leaders and the Jewish traditions were using fasting as a way to show that they were better than other people and Jesus doesn't agree with that interpretation. The, the last thing uh, that Jesus has conflict with the leaders are uh, is about the Sabbath day. Um, you know, for, for many years, uh, there were blue laws that, that prohibited the sale of anything on, on, on Sunday. And those laws, little by little, have gotten repealed. When Jesus says the, the, the Sabbath is for humankind and for our benefit, some people take that to mean that, hey, that means it's for me and I can do whatever I want with it. And we need to remember that Jesus is still Lord of the Sabbath. But there is this value in resting. 
doing something different than what you do every single day of the week, whatever it is that your job is. Uh, in, in 2013, the, the, the New York Daily Times reported that a uh, alarming number of orthopedic surgeons had noticed a serious spike in debilitating knee injuries among teenage athletes. One team of surgeons were operating on two to three hundred kids a year. It's unheard of even a decade ago. Since the year 2000, there has been a five five hundred percent increase in the number of serious elbow and shoulder injuries among youth baseball and softball players. What's causing this epidemic of reconstructive joint surgeries? The article and the team of orthopedic surgeons put one factor at the top of the list, the lack of rest. The current emphasis on playing one sport all year long leaves no time for muscles and joints to recover from the microtrauma that occurs during regular practice and play. Increasing numbers of Major League Baseball pitchers have had Tommy John surgery. And just about every pitcher now, if you've been around long enough, has gone through that surgery that, that is trying to attach the tendons again. And doctors are pointing to the same thing, the overuse and no time off in the formative teen years as the primary reason. God gave Sabbath for us. Not only to rest our bodies, but to rest our souls. And so what Sabbath looks like today, I think, is very different from for, for, for each person. Uh, some people who work very strenuous physical jobs, Sabbath might mean doing something more cerebral, calming, quieting. For those who spend a lot of their time in, sitting in front of a, a computer screen and, and doing mental kind of work, then Sabbath means doing something different. My Sabbath, and for the last, I don't know, 30-something years, has been to shop and to cook. <laughs> that is what I do on my Sabbath day, my day of rest. And, and, and doing something totally different that I don't have to think about sermons or classes or, or different kinds of situations frees my mind actually to be able to think about them more when I come back. My mind needs rest from those kinds of things. We all do. So I don't know what your need is, but every single one of us needs Sabbath. We need a day of rest or a time of rest. Uh, uh, and, and that's something for our benefit that God has given us so that we will be able to sustain our, our ministry. These three areas of controversy, of conflict, um, are all fighting against uh, legalism. And, and legalism can delude us into thinking that God is happy when we're sticklers for the law, for the details, even if we trash people in, in the process. Jesus's approach is to give priority to people. He does not first ask, what are the rules and what do people think I should do? Rather, as we see him acting in these cases, he asks, who needs to be helped? God gave the law for the benefit of humankind and his intent is and the law itself is summed up in the command, love your neighbor as yourself. So this week, perhaps even tomorrow, as we think about Martin Luther King Jr.'s legacy and how he attempted to follow Jesus in his life. And as we attempt to follow Jesus in our lives, think of a way that we can do good and save a life.
The Jewish leaders wanted to protect the law. Jesus wanted to protect people. And I think as we follow Jesus, we will also fall in line with that desire to protect people, to care for people, to love them. If we can pray for you today for a particular circumstance, situation that you're going through, if you've gotten to the point where you want to make a significant change in your life and you need to confess sins, you want to uh, uh, put Jesus on in baptism, we'd love to help you with that. Our brother Charles uh, Ramsey, one of our elders, will be here to receive you. Uh, let's all stand and sing and uh, and.